we are in the middle of a series, and it is a series where we are right in the middle of studying and learning about the Apostles' Creed. And this creed that we are going through, section by section, topic by topic, is something that's been around, some say, just 50 years after the last books of the New Testament were written. This is something that's very old, that the church has been saying for many years. It's something that unifies us. These words are not the Bible, but these words are our response to what we see in the Bible. There are words back to God saying, yes, we believe. And so this morning we are going to be talking about, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Six words in the whole creed. And I feel like I get the deepest part of the whole creed this morning that we get to go through, the Holy Spirit. I see why Jason gave this one to me. Um, And it's been said that the Holy Spirit is the forgotten God or the shy part of the Trinity. And um, to avoid any of my own misnomers, because I don't know if I buy into all the, all the, the phrases that we hear about what the Holy Spirit is, I'm just going to say that He is believable. He is believable, and He is worth believing in. Those two things are good to put together. And lastly, that He is the way to eternal life. And we're going to explore that this morning. What do you know about the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Have you ever thought about these things? Do you, do you know the Holy Spirit? Is he personal to you? We're going to explore what the Bible says, and we're going to explore why we say these words, I believe in the Holy Spirit. But before we do that, we're going to stand together, and we're going to say these words in the Apostles' Creed, and we're going to say them together with unity because it brings the church from the past and the present and the future together as we declare these things together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You can have a seat. And so there's this word that in, captured in the creed there that we've addressed every single week, and I'll do it again quickly. It's the the Holy Catholic Church, what that word Catholic means, very simply, is universal. It's the whole church. If we look up the definition of that word, that's what it means. So we believe in the whole church, the body, the whole body of Christ, all believers. That's what that means. And so when we explore the Holy Spirit, one, one thing we can do is stop and look, what did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? That's an authority that we can go to. And so we go to John 16, 5 through 7. And we see Jesus says, But now I am going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I am going. He's speaking to his disciples. You grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. 
Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Who is this advocate that Jesus is speaking of? If you were a disciple of Jesus at this time, sitting with him, and he said to you, I'm going to go away, but it's going to be best for you for me to send this advocate, what would you think? Christ in front of you, been with you, and he says, I'm going to leave. I'm tempted to say, I'd rather have Christ because I can see him, I can touch him, he's right there. I think the disciples were probably torn and grieved in this moment. I think if we had a better view of just who the Holy Spirit was, I think it would be a lot easier for us and we would be perfectly fine that Christ would leave and send his advocate. When we look at the entirety of Scripture, we see that the whole Bible, the story of God from beginning to end, really is a story about the Holy Spirit. And when we can grasp that, we can understand just what Jesus meant when he said, it would be best that I go away. What does the biography of the Holy Spirit even look like? Who is this person of the Trinity that we speak of? And before we go, we just want to lay a little bit of groundwork. He is a person. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a force, though he is forceful. Why is this important? Because its aren't personal. It's aren't intimate. And when we explore the Holy Spirit, we know He is a person because He is very deep and very personal. We learn this in Genesis 1, 1 through 2, what He was doing in the beginning of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. We see that at the very beginning of time, the Spirit of God was already on the scene. He was already there. He was uncreated. The Hebrew word ruah and the Greek word pneuma are words used to describe who the Holy Spirit is or what He is like. These words describe wind. Even a gale force wind. And I wonder if we can kind of get in the mode of thinking about what that might have been like. I wonder if our ears could have even stood the sound of the Holy Spirit in creation. But we have some sound that might help us. And so it's an evening. I say let's just pause for a moment. Let's close our eyes and listen to what that sound might have been like. Here in creation, we have the movement, the hovering, the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's peaceful. 
He's in control. And creation is about to occur. And he's got it all in his hand. It's a sound I like. It's a sound I like. I don't know if I'll ever listen to wind the same way again after thinking about the Holy Spirit in this context. We see that the Spirit brings order in Psalm 19.1 and fullness in order that creation might receive the knowledge of God and worship Him. See, we see the Spirit in creation. What is He doing? He's here to make a temple in a meeting place for God to meet with and have fellowship with man. What would we do without Him? What would we do without the Spirit? Psalm 104 says, But if you turn away from them, they panic. When you take away their breath, they die, and they turn again to dust. When you give them your breath, life is created. And you renew the face of the earth. We see him again in creation in Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils. And the man became a living person by the power of the Holy Spirit. This breath that's being spoken of in Psalms and in creation, this isn't a literal air. This isn't canned air. This isn't this mixture of oxygen and nitrogen that just happened. This is the breath of God, the Holy Spirit. This is the breath that's being spoken of. The passage in Psalms is actually just an echo of Eden. It's an echo of what was going on. We learn that the Holy Spirit brings form to the, to the formless. He brings life to the lifeless, fullness to the empty, chaos becomes order, the rational becomes rational because of the Holy Spirit. He renews the ruined. We see this evolve, his involvement in creation, and so I ask, do you believe in him? Do you believe in him? That's the declaration. Do we believe in him? What else do we know about him? What else does his biography look like? What are some of the other things he did? We fast forward all the way through the Old Testament. We can calm the wind now as we get out of creation and we go through, we, we fast forward through the whole Old Testament to the birth of Christ. Where was the Holy Spirit? And by the way, he was present through the whole Old Testament. That's where he was. But we see in Matthew 1.18, you ever wonder how Jesus was born? Have you ever wondered what that must have looked like? We learned that the Holy Spirit formed the very humanity of Jesus in the womb of a virgin named Mary. And we do believe this. While she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. We learned that he brings life from the most unexpected places. He creates life on his own terms. He was with Mary in the most intimate and personal of all places, the womb of a virgin. 
Do we believe that he did that? And just as the Holy Spirit was present at Christ's conception, and throughout all of his life, by the way, he was Christ's companion, we see that he was there as Christ offered himself as the perfect, spotless, innocent, and heroic sacrifice for us. We see in Hebrews 9.14, just think about how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. By the, by the power of the Spirit, Christ offered himself to God on our behalf. And because of this Spirit, our consciences are purified. This is active. This is living. This isn't a once-and-done event. He does this right now. And then we see as he lay in the womb, in the womb, in the tomb, as he lay in the tomb, we see the Holy Spirit again. Romans 1, we read, He has shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you trust him? Are we in awe of him? Ultimately, we come to see that by the power of the Holy Spirit, tombs are empty, dead things come to life, There's so much more that we can talk about when we consider the role of the Holy Spirit in his biography. We could go on and on. These are just a few of his works, and I mean just a few. So what does this spirit talk mean to us as believers? If it means something to believers, then it must mean something to those who don't believe. What does it mean to those who don't believe? It's a good question. There are consequences. John 14 says, If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. And he will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads in all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him. And it doesn't recognize him. But if you know him because he lives with you now, and later will be in you. And this is important because he's talking to his disciples. And a lot of times we think that the Holy Spirit didn't come until after Jesus left. But the Holy Spirit was everywhere where Jesus was. So the disciples had the Holy Spirit too. With them. And later, the Holy Spirit would be in them. And we'll learn about that. See, we are indwelt by the same Holy Spirit is Jesus. I think that's fascinating. This is what makes the church so together. We become glued because we are all unified by the same Holy Spirit. See, if Jesus wasn't ashamed to die for, and if the Holy Spirit is okay living in those who believe, then this should cause great love for our brothers and sisters. This should be a big deal. This creed, this belief in the Holy Spirit, it causes unification, yes, but the Holy Spirit causes oneness. 
causes a deep unity. It breaks racial barriers. It transcends culture. It transcends age. It crushes politics. And economics fall by the wayside. We are, glor- we, are, we are brought to one agenda. One agenda. And that's to glorify God and lift Him up. And that is what the Holy Spirit does. That's what He brings to us, this oneness that allows us together to glorify Him. When I think of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, I think it's the most amazing thing in the world to be a Christian. Sinclair Ferguson says, there's nothing better than being absolutely sure that the most powerful being in the universe adores you as his own child. This is the confidence that the Holy Spirit offers us. We can have this. And I want to continue to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer because we're believers here. That's what we declare. That's why we show up. But it would be unfair to miss the role of the Holy Spirit in our very own rebirth. What does it look like? It would be so easy to miss this, I think. So many times we take the phrase, I'm born again, and we reduce it to a magic prayer, a phrase, a time and a place, or even, did you ask Jesus into your heart? And I want to say, I think these things are well-intentioned, okay? I, I can remember the time and place. I did ask him into my heart. I did say the magic prayer, okay? I get that. I know what that means. But I think there's more to our rebirth than this. See, belief is participatory. Yes, we say yes to Jesus. We must believe. But where does this rebirth come from? Where did your rebirth come from? And we see in John 3, 1 through 8, the origin of our spiritual origin in this account with Nicodemus. Rabbi, this is Nicodemus talking. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. As if he's buttering Jesus up, telling him how great he is. And that he sees something in what Jesus is doing. And Jesus replies, and he he kind of flips it on Nicodemus. And I love this. I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied again. He flips it. I assure you no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can only reproduce human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, quote, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Can I just say, what a relief? 
We can't explain rebirth. It's what we just learned. We can think about it. We can debate it. We can contemplate it. We can even question the salvation of others because we're really good at that, right? But we see the wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Why bring up this account of Nicodemus? Why do we look at the wind? Jesus' words are clear. You must be born again. He said it. He said you must be born again. You must be born again. The rebirth that Jesus is speaking of happens by the work of the Holy Spirit. We see this. He is the lifelong companion of Christ and he births spiritual life into spiritually dead souls. That's what he does. Just as he breathed life into the nostrils of Adam, so he breathes life into us. And he causes life. Adam could do nothing to bring himself life. Neither do we. The only thing we supply in salvation is the need and the sin, sadly. But because he is God... The Holy Spirit has all of the resources, all of them, to provide a spiritual birth. We have none. Some say it's, you know, 70% God and 30% me. Some might say, well, it's like 99% God and and 1% me. Others are, it's 50-50, it's right in the middle. It's, It's half God and half me. And I've also heard it's all God. It's all me. And I just want to say, we don't see that picture in Scripture. The fact remains that we can contribute no more to our spiritual rebirth than we do our physical birth. Stop and think about that. Your birth came, and this is kind of a a hard thing to think about. Our physical birth came by the activity of others. Yeah, right, we laugh because it's like, I don't want to think about that, right? But it's the truth. We are not self-generated. Neither are we self-regenerated. So how does this rebirth, how is it given to us? What does it look like? What does this picture of it look like? And I've got a picture that I want to put up here. Let's, Let's take a look. It's a picture of the wind. It's called a spaghetti model. It's what the wind looks like. It's how we predict where the wind is going to go when the hurricanes come blowing through, right? According to the Economics and Statistics Administration of the United States Department of Commerce, I didn't realize we had one of those. It's really comforting to know this this evening. The sum of all federal spending on meteorological operations and research was $3.4 billion. That's what we're left with. And to pile on top of that, We have another $1.7 billion on weather forecasting from the private sector, totaling $5.1 billion. This is not a political statement. This is just what we spend our money on to predict where the wind is going to go. And we still don't know where the wind is going to go. 
These are the words of Christ. It's fascinating to me that Jesus actually talks to us about meteorology. What does this mean, though? Does this mean that we're a free spirit floating aimlessly in the universe? Where does the Holy Spirit come into that? I want to look at that. Once he breathes on us, once he gives us life and he dwells in us, where does he go? Does he float off in some chaotic fashion, like the wind that we have no idea where it's going to go? Psalms 139 looks at this. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your, from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. See, we learn that the wind is not under our control. It doesn't obey the desires of the leaves, ships, or men. When the wind of heaven blows, it blows sovereignly. We see he's everywhere. He's inescapable. We can't run from him. He sees everything, and he is deep inside of us. We can't hide from him either. He's closer to you than you are. I made that up. I don't know if that's accurate. It sounds close. He's closer to you than your best friend, your parents, your family. He leads us, and it says he holds us. Isn't this an amazing picture? So what is the role of the Spirit and the life of a believer, and how is our life affected when we believe in Him? When the wind of heaven blows, when the power of the Holy Spirit puts life into our nostrils, life happens. And just like we see the effects of wind in the leaves being carried away, or the effects of wind on a calm pond, waves happen. We see in Galatians 5 that we'll start to do things that we wouldn't ordinarily do. Things start to look different. They start to look upside down. He says, so I say, this is Jesus talking, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. This sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. Do you feel that inside sometimes? So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. We have some freedom When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, this is what happens. He's going to tell us ahead of time what's going to happen when we follow our own desires. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, 
division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. The list goes on and on. And, and if you're here for the first time, and you're going, I knew it, there was going to be a part of the sermon where the preacher was going to call out all the things that I enjoy doing. That's not the point. The Holy Spirit is not about a checklist. And we're going to see this. Though he is holy, and though we will be different, he continues. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. There is no law against these things. It's It's a buffet. It's a buffet of the things that we are free to do and have as much of it as we want. We have that in our culture. All you can eat. I mean, we gorge ourselves. We can gorge ourselves on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I said that fast. All right? I got a thumbs up from Shay. But the Holy Spirit produces these things. We don't do these things. These aren't things that we go home and make a checkbox and go, was I this, was I this, was I this on this side, and a ledger on the other side, selfishness, drunkenness, all these things. I didn't do any of those things. I did these things. I'm in pretty good shape. No, the Holy Spirit does this in us. And when we believe in him, he does this work. What a relief. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified him there. I don't want these things anymore. I don't need these things anymore. Christ died for these things. Why am I pursuing these things? I don't know. Because the Holy Spirit has other plans. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life, every part of our life. You know, I I think we've become good at following the Holy Spirit on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights. I think we've become good at that. He wants us at work with our friends, with our neighbors, with our family, and all the people that you don't want to be around. That's where he wants us. Lastly, the Holy Spirit doesn't stop by providing the leading and guiding to power everything that he requires We see in Romans 8 that there's a closeness that the Holy Spirit has with us that's really beyond our understanding, right? And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with his groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. This help in our weakness that's being spoken of here, it's Him carrying the heavy end. Ever help somebody that was just a lot weaker than you were? Carry something and you're going, man, can you please hold your load? Hold your end. Hold up your side of the table. That's the Holy Spirit to us. He carries the heavy end in our weakness. 
And then, because we don't know what to pray for, not when or if we don't know what to pray for, but because we don't know what to pray for, he is praying on our behalf to the Father who knows all hearts in words that we can't even understand. I love it. So how do we listen to the Holy Spirit? Where do we find this? How do we follow his leading? Where do we hear him speak? For some of us, we just need to breathe him in. Your life may be one big exhale. You may be tired. See, there is no balance with the Holy Spirit. We can't get enough of him. It's not like, I breathe in enough and I'm good to go for this week. There is no balance. He wants all of us. And we need all of him. He has a desire to permeate everything and every part of us. Every encounter that we have with him will cause us to thirst him even more. For some of us, he may be calling us to slow the heck down. He may be calling us to leave the position of leader of our life. We're in a foreign land, are we not? We're in a foreign land, and yet we act like we're our guide. Ever gone to a foreign land by yourself and said, no, I know everything, I'll guide my way through? You know nothing, you don't know where you're going. We need the Holy Spirit as our guide. That's his role. He may be calling you to forget about what God's will is for your life. Whoa, John just said that we have to forget about what God's will is for our life. Because usually when we say that, we mean, what are we going to do next year? What are we going to do five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now? What's it going to look like? What's God's big will for my life? You know, for some of us, it might be, Lord, I I don't know what you're going to do then, but I need you now, and I'm going to surrender to your moving in this very moment, right now. I think he calls us to that. And I think when we do that, we'll be surprised that our path becomes directed in what happens a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, are all wonderful dominoes in the movement of the Holy Spirit in our life. The band, you can come forward now. We're left with the declaration that we started with. I believe in the Holy Spirit. You're the jury. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? That's the creed. That's that's what this creed is about. These are words. It's not enough, though, to simply say the words. The words command action. And that action is belief. Do you believe the words? And I just want to say that if you don't believe the words, don't say the creed. It's okay. It's okay. But if you don't say the words, I want you to consider belief in him long before you decide to say the words. And if you've never heard the good news tonight, if you've never heard that Christ came to die, For you, I want to invite you to believe tonight. 
so that when you say the words, you mean them. If you're afflicted tonight, if you're tired, I pray for comfort from the Holy Spirit. But if you're perfectly comfortable and things are awesome and good and the Holy Spirit is kind of over here and I don't really need him except when things get tired, I actually pray that he afflicts you and that he spurs you on and that you have a burning desire up inside of you to follow Christ. If you believe in this morning, I want to invite you to do what we've done every week, and that's join the church, the past, and the present, and read the creed one more time. And this time, I want you to read it loud. I love hearing it. I heard it in the first service. I actually stopped partway through, and I just enjoyed hearing the church. It's good. So stand with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Amen.